G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. I'm John Murch, producer and host. Today's guest is a standout act to see live at AusAsia Festival 2022. But first, in the box, look at some of the correspondence we've received. Will Anderson's new book, I'm Not Fine, Thanks, is out at the start of November. Part memoir, part manifesto and all comedy, they say. I note this is the third book for the host of Gruen, Tofop and Question Everything, the others being Survival of the Dumbest and Friendly Fire. Head split artwork graces the cover for the latest one from Mr. Foz on Red Bubble, that being of James Fosdyke. Yano means goodbye and is also the latest cut from Charlie Needs Braces from a future debut album titled Saltwater People out February the 10th, 2023, where Charlie Woods does the vocals, plays trumpets and loops, tuned with the story of walking away from the hardships and questions from doing so, released as a standalone single now. Out on Kill Rock Stars, I can't nearly Eat As Much As I Want To Vomit, a brand new album from The Shut Ups out of Oakland, California, a fave of 99PI's Roman Mars, who a few years ago reacquainted me with their sound and style. Bats has released a new album, The Night Lion, inspired by the exhibition of the same name, features Blue, a work done with Sharon Van Etten, and a single Linger that was released just prior to release with Deep Sea Diver. That said, in the tradition of Bats' releases, this is more than just a single or two. This is an album that others will be looking up to match, whatever their genre. Speaking of Bats, they've been nominated in the up-and-coming Music Victoria Awards, a full list of the folks up for gongs from the local industry there, available now and will be added to our show notes. Briefly on awards, while have not received any information from the South Australian Music Awards... Two of our guests, The Violets and Kai and Burns, are up in the pop category. Winners will be announced November the 17th. Last time I went to the equivalent awards was back in 1995. On a positive, before heading into our feature guest for today, I'd like to mention show favourite Sohaila Smith has lent into the country for the new tune City Girl. Recent guest and director of Rent, which, as a side note, had a wonderful season of sold-out shows, mentioned they prefer artists that sing country but do so singing more about trucks. They cited this was something most of the male-identifying performers in the genre do, and why they prefer the Taylor Swift-esque form of the music. Smith's latest is produced, mixed, mastered, and with instrumentation from Jeff Dazel. City Girl states, Going to get real loud, I'm going to take up space. It certainly does orally, and is out now on all music platforms. Let's now head to our feature guest for today. Lauka creates glitchy hyperpop with high-octane aesthetics. Euphoria is the latest release out on music platforms with a new single available as a non-fungible token. Hours before hitting the stage of Big Sound 2022 in Brisbane, Lauka was in Adelaide and dropped past Radio Notes studio for a chat. Welcome to Radio Notes. Hello. Finally, eight years later, we get a chance to talk about your music. Has it been eight years since we've been like communicating online and just sending emails to each other? Doing stuff, yeah. Wow. What was that first taste of music that you got? I think as a child, I was always obsessed with music and entertainment value. I mean, 
most kids would probably watch cartoons, and but I was kind of obsessed with like watching commercials, like ads on TVs, and obsessed with like anything that had performance in it. So whether it was like a, you know, a variety musical show or MTV, that kind of thing, I was always obsessed about that growing up. And then I I wanted music lessons because I wanted to like be like a pop star that I saw on TV, and I th- I think that was like kind of where it started so like really organic it wasn't like anything was pushed onto me it was just something I was drawn to even f- from a very young age. You mentioned TV commercials so I'm wondering yeah. whether or not the visual element also played a part at that early stage. Absolutely it's like I think like most people probably get annoyed at ads but I find that it's kind of fascinating because it's like they have like what 20 seconds to tell a story that's pretty cool. It was just attention grabbing. And then you get the audio aspect where ads are, you know, they hook you in, even from a, a sound level, not just visually. Got such a short time for that information in a commercial to be shared as well. Mm-hmm. Is there correlations with your music as well? I would think there is, but... I'm not sure. I mean, like, obviously, I'm, like, I think I do have a short attention span. And I was reading somewhere that uh, the average attention span now is like eight seconds long. Maybe it's not that I'm trying to do it deliberately, but it's because I get bored personally. So like I do uh, change things up. It's like when I think about how I DJ, like when I DJ sets, I have very quick transitions and like I play a song and then before you know it, I've like transitioned to the next songs. Unlike some like maybe trance DJs, they would have this really long they'll play out a song or plays a track for a really long time. Whereas I would get bored and I'll be like, okay, time to switch it up, time to switch it up. And I think that's possibly because my own attention span is pretty quick and I tend to be quite an impatient person when it comes to things. Back to the younger years. Yeah. The violin is very much part of your musical repertoire. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's just the violin. I no, know I, I kind of always make this joke that uh, like I'm that typical Asian kid who did piano and violin. Like all Asian kids would either do piano and cello or piano and something. So like, yeah, I was like piano and violin. But you still do it. I don't play the stuff I used to play when I was a student. I just have stopped enjoying that. Just see the violin now as like, oh, here's this thing that's just been sitting around my home. Oh, I could put it in this production or this track that I'm producing. And it's it's more like, oh, here's something in my arsenal. love producing music, but I don't love playing the violin. It's just something that's there. Play much of a part in the musical education that has now formed the sounds that you're doing? It's funny that when I get asked that about like my training and my background as a classical musician, uh, which is like kind of how I started my career and did everything, I... I don't consciously draw on that, but surely there's got to be some influence and some some way that playing the violin, playing the piano has informed the way my brain processes music or the way my brain approaches writing music. But it's not something that I consciously draw upon and it's probably something I take for granted as well. I think like sometimes when I talk to people about you know, about music and then I'll just mention something like off the cuff, like yeah, that's in the key of whatever, and then it modulates to this, and then I just assume everyone would know that. But then I've come to realise that maybe not everyone knows what I'm talking about, and I just take for granted that that's common knowledge. When did club music become part of your DNA? That's a really cool question, actually. When I was much younger, I think 
like when people turn 18, the stereotype is like, oh, they go clubbing straight away. And I think because I was so shy, it wasn't until like I started playing music myself and then started making friends who were making music, who then played club shows that I started to go to club shows and found that I loved it. It's funny because I've been dragged to clubs before by you know acquaintances and they just haven't been the right clubs for me they didn't play the right music that I enjoyed the crowd wasn't what I enjoyed so I kind of had this perception of clubbing being this vapid thing that people I didn't connect with do but once I found the right types of clubs to go to play the right music I think it just meant so much more to me and I really really started to enjoy it. How empowering is it now to be that person making the sound for said clubs? Yeah, it's, I I reckon it's the best. I love going to clubs, supporting my friends when they're playing music that I love, but I love it even more when I'm behind the decks. In less than a day, you will be at Big Sound and would have happened by the time this chat is heard, but, but tomorrow in the time of record, you're going to Big Sound. Yeah. It was 9.50 at La La Land, which seems appropriate considering your name. I'm going to turn La La Land into Lalka Land. And then you come back in November to be one of the stars of the Oz Asia Festival. And that is a free show as well. So there's no excuse for punters not to get along at 7.30pm on the 4th of November. I hear there's fantastic food there too. It's outstanding. What are you taking to Big Sound? What's the Big Sound vision? So I'm going to be showcasing my new unreleased music that I've never done before. It's funny because I played Big Sound in 2019. It was good, but the amount of pressure I put on myself Mm. to somehow achieve something out of it, like like I felt like it was going to be, I don't know, career-changing and life-changing. And the reason I bring up 2019 and, and now is because... It's now I'm so much more relaxed about it. I am not expecting my entire life to change. I think the narrative that's often put out is like, oh, you know, these bands, they they played Big Sound and then they went on to be international stars and they signed a record deal off the back of Big Sound. But the thing is, all these things that happen, you know, are part of a bigger journey. And Big Sound was only like one piece of the jigsaw. It's volume though, as well. There's uh-huh. so many people. You've got to have a success story somewhere in there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But now I'm just a lot more relaxed about it. I'm excited about it, but I'm not putting that pressure on myself to, I don't know, sign a massive deal. I think I'm going in more with the perspective of this is what I'm working on. And if people want to come on board and support me, and I'm talking about industry people who, who see value in what I do and see how I can give value to them. Because at the end of the day, it's an industry, it's a business. Like mm. People are there to make money off my talent. So I, I kind of approach it more in that kind of business perspective of like people are there to make money off my talent off my and my product that I'm selling is my music and who I am as an artist. So if I'm not the right fit for them, that's totally okay. And they might not be the right fit for me. It's like there's nothing I love more in the world than performing live. So to be able to do that and know that there are people in the industry who are going to be there and for me to be able to, to do something I absolutely love Like, I'm just stoked to be able to do that. What are you bringing? Because it sounds like it is a new sound. There'll be visuals. 
they just add so much more to a live show. In terms of gear, I will be singing. I'll be playing violin. I've got a MIDI keyboard where I play some melodic lines on the keyboard. There's also trigger pads where I mm. trigger samples my fingers. I've got a Roland SPD where I play some drum solos or trigger some samples. Originally, I had ordered new instrument called the Array Touch. It's currently stuck in customs. I'll definitely have it by the time I play Oz Asia. So I'm pretty excited about like that new piece of gear just because like it opens up so much more to what I can do. Visually, it's also a really interesting looking piece of gear. You know, everyone's seen the MIDI keyboard, but the Array Touch is like pretty new and I'm just like nerding out about it. And at Big Sound, I will be playing a half hour set. I describe my half hour set as it's literally 30 minutes of cardio for me. It's got highs and high points and some mellow points, but it's super energetic. And one thing I found is that I actually have to be like really fit to be able to, to play live. Even for a half hour set, you'd think, oh, half an hour isn't long. But like the amount of energy I exude, like physically, the amount of sweat that drips off my body, it's pretty disgusting. After a set, like how much I have to control my breathing to be able to move that much and still sing uh, effectively. Like I did notice that I really had to work on my fitness levels to be able to do what I wanted to do, the vision I had in my head of what kind of show I wanted to put on. I think the thing about electronic music as well is that a lot of the sounds here were made on the computer. As a performer, I have to think about how I'm going to translate the feeling and the energy of the sounds people hear when they can't exactly see the mouse pad that I'm using. And so I have to physically show it to them how how to enjoy a song. And, and it's a performance, isn't it? And you know, when you're writing music in a studio, everything's just in your brain and on the computer. But then when you're performing it, I approach it like as a whole body approach. It's like, you know, how do I use my body to express this phrase that I'm singing? What's the expression on my face? What clothes do I wear to kind of express this, the type of music I'm making? Let's talk about fashion. Is fashion just part of the music? I've always loved fashion. It felt natural when I wanted to express the music to use fashion as that. If I was an artist that had zero interest in fashion, it wouldn't make much sense to heavily incorporate fashion into the music. But because I genuinely am obsessed with fashion, it was so natural to go like, okay, I want to express this. And here's another way that I can express the music and that's through clothes. Another lens to present something like you're listening to something on like just your headphones, you just have the sound. But then when you're presenting a song in the format of video, there needs to be another element to it. When you're performing a song on a stage, there needs to be other elements that contribute to that whole experience. Otherwise, why go to a live show when you can just sit at home on your headphones? Your interest in imagery. Yes. And how important it is to you. It's so powerful. Like even when I was studying, right, as a student, when I was writing notes, you know, like just being a good student, my notes were never boring looking. They were beautifully written, not necessarily handwriting, but like I would be drawing charts and mind maps and using different colors to express something. And I feel like that's how I learn as well. And you know, some people listen to audiobooks. I prefer reading a book mm. because I can see it visually and translate it. 
I'm a collector of books, and they some of the books I have are just beautiful pieces where the design is great. I, you know, like I'm I'm looking at your laptop cover now, and I'm looking at some of the stickers, like the one with the cassettes with mm-hmm. the cure, and you know, I'm just thinking, I really like that. I am drawn to imagery. We should talk about the Oz Asia Fest because it sounds like it will be next level. You'll have new toy. Yeah, I have a longer set time as well. So I've got 60 minutes. Usually I play a 45-minute set, 30 to 45 minutes. So now that I've got 60 minutes, now I have the chance to expand the songs. There's obviously the songs that you would hear on like Spotify. It'll be like 2 minutes, 30 seconds. But that's what I call the radio version or the streaming version. But when I play it live, I like to change it up. I might change up the form of the song. I might extend a part. I might add in a new part because I have more time and because it's a live set. There's definitely more to retain an audience's attention rather than just audio. After I get through Big Sound, which is this week, the next thing on my to-do list is to really craft a set for Asia that is 60 minutes where... I can fit in more songs, but I can also fit in different arrangements of songs. Just get creative with songs that would not have suited just audio, but would definitely suit a live version. continue our conversation by talking about the new economy, the online economy. I'm a cash kind of guy. Yeah. Um, What's your approach on NFTs? Okay, so when I first heard about NFTs and the amount of insane hype it was generating, I was, of course, sceptical. But I actually heard about blockchain technology way back in 2016 from an artist called Imogen Heap. And I didn't know a lot about it, but it was Imogen Heap. She's an artist I greatly admire for... Uh, not just her art, but her intellect as well. Once I knew that NFTs had something to do with blockchain, I started to look into it more. I went in with this really cautious curiosity, is what I call it. I firmly believe that as an artist, my job is to be open-minded and explore and not confine myself to what I know or what currently exists. I feel like an artist's job is to explore the possibilities out there. You don't necessarily have to love it, but you have to explore it. And so that was my approach to exploring the world of NFTs and Web3 and all of that. And the more I explored it uh, from a critical lens, I could see, yes, there were definitely issues with it, issues with different things. And I decided to not speak too much about it at first. What I found really, really annoying for me personally was the amount of opinions people felt entitled to share. Now, an opinion is just that, an opinion. It's not necessarily based on facts. There were so many opinions, loud opinions on the internet. People were kind of getting swept up in, in other people's opinions and, getting, and making their decisions and what they thought about a topic based on someone's opinion. I didn't want to do that. I was like, okay, this artist has this opinion. This other artist has that other opinion. I'm going to look into it. 
And so as I looked into it, discarded opinions, just looked at information, made up my own mind about it. And that's when I started to get really interested in it. If it was something that I looked into and wasn't interested in, I would probably abandon the idea and not looked into it and just kind of like, you know, moved on, looked at something else. But I was, I found it interesting with what the technology could do, what it was doing for other artists, whether they be visual artists or music artists. And then I started to see how it was being used by businesses and then seeing the potential that it had with businesses. Like, I guess like when you think about Instagram, a few years ago, people were like, oh, why would I want to be interested in what you ate for breakfast? Now, like everyone's got Instagram, people are, you know, interested in it. Just a socially curious mind where how it's going to really change our society i mean like i remember years ago one of my teachers was saying i can't believe this this facebook thing who cares about your life and the thing is people do care people are nosy and i think perceptions change and society and culturally we're going to change and there's no point fighting against it i think the best thing to do is whether or not you agree with it is to understand it and then make up your own mind about whether it's something you want to participate in or not. And I've decided I wanted to participate in it because I think it'll be fun for me. So let's talk about from the artist's perspective. So what you can offer as an artist is your music, your publishing, those aspects of your life and your work. The thing about blockchain technology is that once something is transferred or if somebody owns it, it's on the blockchain. It cannot be messed around with. It's And it has its own signature and code. Yeah, it's there. And so... You can't muck around with it. So if somebody owns a piece of NFT, they can prove that they own it. Now, obviously, there's people who are into NFTs purely for investment, purely to flip it to make money and no judgment on them. That's what they want to do. And that is a function. But I see NFTs as so much more in the sense that, for example, as a fan of music, I would love to own something that one of my idols has put out and I can say that I own this beautiful piece of digital art, for example, as well as other things that come with it. Some music NFTs, you purely just get ownership of the song, but I feel like there is so much more that people can put into NFTs. And what I see is like there's a direct connection from artist to fan. Not only that, there's ability for artists to reward their fans from a retrospective aspect. For me personally, when I started thinking, actually, I want to put on an NFT, but I I didn't want to just do it for no reason. I was like, okay, if I was to put on an NFT, how can I bring value to other people? It's not just going to be about me and about how much money I make. I was like, how can I really make it noteworthy and special? Because there's just no point kind of jumping on a bandwagon, making a cash grab and then disappearing. Like, what's the point? I feel like the people who support my music, my, you know, my small community of fans, they're so supportive. And the reason I've come to where I am now to be able to do what I do, like part of that is due to people like you, John, and people who have been, you know, not swayed by other things, just like really dig the music. And I'm like, okay, this is a chance for me to then share the success with those people, with like the OGs who are onto my music. And how can I do that? So I started thinking they could have things, own the things like stems. A lot of my community is made up of creatives and musicians. 
and I know that they would love to mess around with stems, create their own remixes. A stem is part of the music that goes on top of the other music. It's an element of the music. Yeah, um, it's like the music sound, the song is made up of stems, of layers of sound. Like a track within a track. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought they would want that because they're creatives themselves. They could make a remix. But the other thing about remixes as well, I was thinking that Usually the way, the old school way it's done is like an artist approaches another artist or a producer. The producer gets paid a flat remix fee, for example, $150. Now, if the song blows up, if the remix blows up mm. and that producer only got paid 150 bucks, but then the, the song went on to have millions of streams, that producer has lost out. But you never know. So I wanted it to be something that where my community of fans could make money off or something that I've made, but they turn it into something that's completely theirs. And that's the rights element we're talking about. Yeah. So they pay for, as you're saying, a yeah. stem or maybe a vocal line and then becomes a hit uh, through they the They can use it in yeah. whatever way they want. And if they want to release it and make money off it, they can. They have the rights to. For me, I'm like, that's a great way to reward them because then my success would feed their success and I feel like that was probably the best way to give back to that community was to actually share my success with them so not only do they get the stems and rights to remix it they get other little perks as well I call them little but I guess maybe they're not so little like I really want to give people something of value and not just like oh you get a sticker I really want it to be something where people feel like it's worth the money they pay for. It means something to them. And then if they do sell the NFT down the track, there's obviously investment speculation. They can make money off it as mm -hmm. well. And it just seems like a fairer way to do things rather than just as an artist, me just constantly asking my supporters to give me money, but I never give anything back apart from art and music, which is fair enough. And that's, I think we shouldn't expect artists to give us anything more than art and music and their work because that alone is so much but I wanted to do personally just wanted to give back so much more and NFTs just looks like the perfect vehicle for me to do that on the blockchain so that it's transparent it's legitimized and it's transparent it's not just a oh my just take my word for it mate so Laka Nation what is that then so Laka Nation is a club that I have it's a subscription only club and before doing Larka Nation, my creative process has been quite secretive. I didn't share demos. I didn't share stems. I didn't share draft lyrics. But Larka Nation provides an opportunity for me. When I started making a mixtape, I said to my community, okay, for a subscription every month, if you pay the subscription, you get this content. And the content includes works in progress. So the idea was for them to come along the journey of to see how the mixtape was being constructed. So they would get demos, they would get draft lyrics, they would get MIDI files, mm -hmm. stems, because I got, again, a lot of my supporters are creatives themselves and musicians. And just me sharing like, oh, this is what I worked on this month. I would also do wallpapers for them, like digital wallpapers. So while the wallpaper may not be part of the mixtape, it's just like, oh, here's something I drew that relates to the demo that I'm letting you listen to this week. Now, I do this with the understanding that my fans will not like post my demo on YouTube and leak it to everyone. I'm just like, no, this is, this is for you guys. You know, you guys have subscribed to it. This is 
this is for you. Like I'm not showing it to anyone else because it's not a finished work. It's not polished. Just that the artwork is also just part of my creativity. And I'm like, here's a digital artwork that I've drawn, and that's for you. It's not. It's not going to be part of a bigger project. It's just something I made for you guys. Let's see if we can get somewhat of an exclusive on this. Are you releasing a song via the NFT, via the online community? My plan is to release some songs as music NFTs that will be part of the mixtape. There's a few reasons to that. One being I'm genuinely curious about the technology, about being part of it. I want to be part of this. I don't care what people say about it, calling me a sellout or you know, How yeah. is it a sellout to have something you value and then offer it to those that want it? It's not. You want to go and see a live gig, you pay for the live gig. That's not selling out. That's paying for, for, for the music. Exactly. And I think people are so used to getting stuff for free. Well, that's their problem. Exactly. But, you know, since Spotify came along, you get music for free. I think there have been artists who have launched NFT projects but not given back to their fans. And they have, you know, promised a whole heap of stuff and that never eventuated. And then they bail and abandon the project after getting everyone else's money. Uh, I wanted to release the NFTs because I'm interested in technology. I think for me, the best way I learn is by doing stuff, just like doing it. So I'm going to do it. Uh, So that's the first reason. The second reason I think was what I've spoke about before, how like I just found it a great vehicle to give back to my community a main driver. Like I didn't want to release an NFT for the sake of it. Those are my two main reasons really. Um, just because I'm interested in this new f- model, this new technology, I just see it as a way I can give back. So let's talk about the new single which is being released through the NFT. The new single is going to be called What If We Kiss To Break The Tension. I feel like it's a club track. Now that one of the reasons I'm calling the next body of work a mixtape was because I wanted to create a body of work that was more than an EP, but I didn't want to be constricted by a theme that would make it cohesive into an album. I just didn't want to constrict myself. When I first started, I was like, I don't really want to have a theme. But I also have been DJing for a bit. And the thing about DJ sets is you can take listeners on a journey and blend one song into the next. And so I wanted to create this body of work where the music could be blended and exist in a club. So what if we kiss to break the tension? It's it's definitely more on what I guess the music industry would call experimental. I find that term so funny. Because I know how unusual a track is, it did not make sense to release it as a radio-friendly single. But I feel like in the NFT space, in a way, three space, people are more experimental. And it just suited that environment, the Web3 environment, far more than a different track. For example, Gradient or Euphoria that I released before. That was definitely more radio-friendly. I just wanted to see how it can grow organically and not be constrained by mainstream media or mainstream radio, but just put it out there, have people find it, people who are interested in more conceptual music. There's, there's this whole other crowd in Web3 that just have a different taste and I'm, I just want to reach them. And I feel like this song would suit that world a lot better. Hence why I'm releasing it as an NFT. I think it definitely had a lot to do with how the song sounds. In my brain, it just like fits Web3. Is that where it's going to be found? 
So if people have even the slightest interest to know what your new music sounds like, they'll mm-hmm. have to get behind the nation and get behind that. You know, interestingly, like people assume that the only way they can access the music is if they buy it. The thing is, when I release it as an NFT, I'm not forcing anyone to buy it. If people want to listen to the music, they literally go to the NFT link, right, where it's being sold, the marketplace. They can hit the play button and still listen to the track. Hmm. So it's going to be heard. The NFT... So that's very much like a band camp. It's online. Yeah. You just listen to it. And as you're saying, if you want to be the owner of that song fully, then that's where you go. And if it's something that really resonates with you and you want it, buy the NFT. When they buy the NFT, they don't just get the song. They get the stems. They get the rights. They get so many other things with it. If people just want to listen to the song, that's fine. It's still free. They just go on the marketplace, hit play. Let's talk lyrically and let's talk substance within that song. Mm-hmm. What's the driving force for you at the moment for the songs that you're writing and producing? When I write, started writing this song, the music definitely came first. I, I had a sonic idea of what I wanted to achieve. So I made the music, made the beats, messed around with the structure until something I was happy with. The mood I wanted, I knew the colours, colours as in like how things sounded, timbres, you know, tone colours. And then the thing about lyrics is I approached this specific body of work because I didn't want to tie myself down to a theme. I have these just random phrases that, that come into mind and I'll, I'll just type it in my phone. And so for this song, I looked at my phone and I found the phrase... What if we kiss to break the tension? It, there's just something about it, the quality of that question. What if we kiss to break the tension? That I felt suited the mood of the music that I created for this track. Questioning the possibility. Hmm. Like, what if I did this thing? And what will happen to the future? You know, would this trigger the future? Would this change? And... On a personal level, that's definitely something I've been like experiencing in the last like twelve months, eighteen months. Just like a lot of like major decisions I've made, and you know, it's it's been scary at times. And you know, people think club music might be vapid. No, when you really think about it, like it's not. Like that sense of like questioning the energy behind the song, like the driving drums, where you're pushing, like just wanting to break forth from the barriers around you. And it's also beyond self-doubt as well. It's regarding the broader idea of identity, what you're willing to do within your own self. Yeah, definitely a J-Core influence in that. And sonically, I found that a lot of the tracks from this mixtape, upcoming mixtape, definitely have that like pretty obvious J-Core influence. And it was something that, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm going to write a J-Core album. It's just stuff I love. And I think I always approach writing music with, I want to create something I love, something I'm in love with. I didn't like strategize about it. I was just like, no, I love this. So I'm going to make it. I'm excited about the song because like, it's like I said, it's experimental. It's such a visceral sounding track. I want people to feel that energy and it's not an angry energy. It's just like a very like strong energy and hopeful without being cheerful. It's not a cheerful track, but it's definitely optimistic. I kind of call my music like romance for a doomed generation. It's like we know we're doomed, but there's still optimism and there's still romance in it.
Radio Notes, released first as podcast, can also be heard on radio worldwide. I do want to ask what you're reading at the moment, which I know sounds like a very basic question. You're doing a bit of travelling, so you've probably been doing a bit of reading. What are you reading? What should we know about what you are reading? The NFT Handbook. Okay, mm-hmm. so if anyone, I would highly recommend that book as like a starting point. It's informative without being overwhelming. And I think one of the biggest problems with Web3 and NFTs is that it's so overwhelming. There's so much information that is foreign, concepts are foreign, that people switch off. I get it. But uh, if you want to be educated about it, here's a book I recommend that I found very, very useful when I first started looking into things. And I'm reading it again a second time around because... It's just so useful and I just like to remind myself about things. So it's called the NFT Handbook. I can't remember the authors, but... Um, we'll I, chuck I, it in the show notes. Well, yeah. Um, the other book that I've been reading on repeat is called Cult Status by Tim Duggan. On the surface, you would think, okay, it's just a business book. But what I love about the book is that it's not a how-to business for dummies. It's not like, here's how you set up your ABN and here's how you set up your website. No, it's about... It's how you can give back to people. It's not about taking. It's not like most business books or maybe the perception of business has been more like, all right, I'm here to make money. I'm here to make money off people. For people to want to give you money, you've got to have something that they value. The way the book is written really made me think about, okay, what's the purpose of a business? And so then I translate it to, okay, what's my purpose as an artist? Am I just doing this to like selfishly just to glorify myself or can I do something more for people through my talents which is music and imagery and storytelling so it really got me thinking about hang on there's like we really need to start thinking beyond ourselves beyond dollar signs and more about how we can create something that has meaning and because something that has meaning, people will gravitate towards it. And I like that idea. I like that there is a reason for doing something. I think a lot of times we go through life doing things without any motivation or any reason. So I like approaching life that doing things where there's a reason behind it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be motivated. But another thing I've been like really trying to do consciously is how can I give value to others? Not necessarily just in music. But like, how can you give value to, say, if you're, you're visiting someone at their home, how can you give value to them? Like, you know, is your presence going to give value to them? Is something you do going to give value to them without expecting something back? Some very old school values in the new school that you're doing. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us on Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me. Lauka. Performing at Oz Asia Festival Friday, 4th of November, an all ages free show at the Lucky Dumpling Market at Elder Park. Find out more at lalka.online. Radio Notes Discoveries. The brilliant broadcaster Virginia Trioli has a new podcast called You Don't Know Me, with guests including the likes of Sean McAuliffe, Grace Tame, and even outgoing and current affair host Tracy Grimshaw for the first time, giving insight about themselves through seven questions. Back when I did breakfast radio, and I was scripted back then, I'd go into an interview with intro and outro, as well as five main questions I'd like to answer during the time with the guests. 
Often I'd have two and my producer the other three, as they'd often be the brains of the show. But most importantly, with Virginia's new show, with The Seven, gets, as any great journalist should, into the corners of these guests' lives with genuine warmth and engagements, bringing some great stories to light. Quick mention for those in Australia, Bikini Kill has just announced a truly national tour for the start of 2023, followed by Nashville in America at the end of March, then the rest of America, North America through to May. Soon exclusively, I should mention on our feed, my chat with Dot Hacker and Red Hot Chili Peppers, Josh Klinghoffer. Warm reminder to follow in your favourite podcast app not to miss when that's released. Next feature guest, Gracie Jean on the back album Romance Is Bad. Thanks to Loka for being our guest this time around. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 